You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Revealing Retina presented by the American Retina Foundation, the charitable arm of the ASRS, the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Levitt, Chairman of the American Retina Foundation, and joining me today is Dr. Mark Himayan. Hello, Mark. Hi, Roy. Thank you for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. Dr. Himayan is a vitreoretinal surgeon. He is at the Doheny Eye Institute at the Keck School of Medicine at USC, where he is professor of ophthalmology, professor of biomedical engineering, and cell neurobiology. He did his training at Duke and at Wilmer, and currently has some interesting positions. He's director of the National Science Foundation, the Biomimetic Microelectronic Systems Engineering Research Center, and I'll let you explain that, Mark. And he's also director of the Department of Energy, the Artificial Retina Project, which is a unique consortium of five Department of Energy laboratories, five universities, as well as industry. Mark, as you and I both know, for almost all of ophthalmic history, the possibility of some form of artificial vision was a stuff of fantasy. Every year in my practice, I had patients that would ask about eye transplants or artificial eyes, and I would try to explain how difficult, if not impossible, it would be to connect 1.5 million nerve fibers in the optic nerve. But technology has changed the playing field, and I would like for you to give us a brief history of how this artificial retina research you are engaged in came about. Well, I'll be happy to, Roy. It is indeed something that is very exciting. It is the ability to use state-of-the-art microelectronics to restore sight to those who are completely blind. And I'll explain. You know, it does, it's not for all types of blindness, but it is a large subset of patients who are blind, especially from retinal conditions. Currently, the way the device works is we use a tiny little lightweight camera which is worn in, in the glasses, and you can't even tell that the subject is wearing this or the patient is wearing this device. The camera picks up images in the environment and then sends this wirelessly to a chip that's implanted around or in the eye. This chip then receives this information, decodes it, and in accord with proprietary software, which we've developed, ends up stimulating the nerve cells of the eye and send the information to the brain. So effectively, you're taking somebody who's blind and hooking them up to a camera to be able to see. Now, the type of blindnesses that this does work with that we've tested are inherited retinal conditions like retinitis pigmentosa. So this is an inherited condition which occurs in 1 in 4,000 and results in damaging the rods and cones of the light-sensing cells of the retina. And so what we're doing with the chip is basically bypassing those damaged light detectors and jump-starting the remaining nerve cells in the eye and sending the information to the brain. So that's how this works. And if we're wildly successful and we get the resolution and imagery we get, then we, you know, we hope to go beyond putting them in people who are completely blind to those who are visually impaired. But right now, the device is being put in under an FDA trial only in patients who have retinitis pigmentosa, this inherited condition, and who are completely blind. This prosthesis really works in a situation in which the optic nerve and some of the visual cells, or at least the nerves in the retina, are still functioning. Correct. What you need is not all of the optic nerve. We found about 30% of the optic nerve you do need. You need some connection 
from the eye to the brain. And what the chip does is jumpstart the nerve cells in the eye, and these remaining fibers then connect that information and pass it along to the brain. And when you implant this chip, where is it placed? This particular chip is called the Argus series, and it's the company that makes it as Second Sight Medical Products. And the Argus 2 chip, which is the one that's in, in international trials as well as nationally, so it's in about four centers in the United States and four internationally, this particular chip is placed in and around the eye. So, but the key thing is that the chip and the electronics never touch the delicate tissue of the retina, and therefore... None of the heat, none of the sharpness of the chip or any of those aspects are transmitted to the retina. So it's, it's in and around the eye, but what touches the retina is a very delicate set of wires that are much like a Band-Aid. And so these Band-Aid, very delicate saran wrap type wires then actually delicately touch the retina. And it is this through these wires that current is passed to the retina. So the key is the chip is in and around the eye, but it never touches the retina, only this very delicate Band-Aid type wires or saran wrap-like wires do touch the retina. And it's placed then not through the retina, but through the sclera? Yes. So the, the little cable of wires is placed through the eye wall, which is the sclera, and then put delicately on the surface of the retina where the, some of these nerve cells are, the ganglion cells. And by laying them right on top of these nerve cells, the electric current then jumpstarts these nerve cells in accord with the type of patterns of stimulations that are being delivered through these electrodes in this device. So each electrode, when it stimulates, creates a spot of light. So imagine the, a group of electrodes could create a dot of lights, much like on a scoreboard, and it's, or much like a pixelized vision, uh, like pixels on a camera. And so by putting those together, actually, you, you come up with the entire image. So far, the patients that have had this prosthesis, what are they able to see? What the patients are able to see, and these people have been blind, completely blind, no light perception, can't see the brightest light, or can barely see a photographic flash, and even that very inconsistently. And they've been blind for 20, 30, and even 50 years, so half a century. And what they're able to see initially is just spots of light where the electrodes are stimulating, and... It turns out that there's a very interesting story to be told, and that is that the brain relearns how to see again and fills in a lot of missing information. So even though we're providing a crude set of dots that maybe outline an object, the brain is able to fill in a lot of the missing information. So what you see is that initially they see spots of light, but in a month or a few weeks, they're actually able to determine a large objects. And we've shown that amazingly even that one of our patients that BBC Television actually filmed at her home was, was shooting baskets with her grandson. So it's, it's an amazing thing how much the brain is able to fill in the missing information. But clearly, it starts off by seeing spots of light that then, through learning of the brain, ends up you start seeing large objects and then motion. You can tell which way objects are moving. You can tell where the door is. You can tell a plate from a cup or a knife. So this is all what the brain is doing. It's learning this new information. And these patients, they've lost their vision from retinitis pigmentosa? Yes, all the patients to date in the trial, whether in the U.S. or internationally, have lost their vision because of retinitis pigmentosa, this inherited condition which damages the rods and cones. So they have no visual cells. That's right. They're end stage, very severe, so they don't have any visual cells 
and therefore they can't see even the brightest light. For those of you who are just joining in, you are listening to The Revealing Retina on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Roy Levitt, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Himayan, and we are discussing artificial vision, artificial retina. My question, Mark, is have there been any rejection issues? Yes, and the issue of rejection always comes up. Clearly, we're putting in electronics into the body, which is very foreign to the body, but also the body is very corrosive to electronics. It's a warm, saline, salty environment. I mean, it's the worst thing. Imagine throwing your cell phone into the ocean. It wouldn't last very long. So in terms of the body's rejection, we've picked materials that are very biocompatible, and so we haven't seen a rejection of the body. And more importantly, we've shown that these devices can last more than 10 years in the body. And the way we did that is in the laboratory, you can accelerate by raising the temperature of the testing media. So you put it in saline environment, but you elevate it to 87 or even 97 degrees centigrade. And so you accelerate the failure mode. And from that, you can calculate by even putting the device in for a year or two, it's the equivalent of 10 years in the body. So we've learned that these devices, once implanted, can last more than a decade, and the tests are still going, and they can certainly last longer, and that the body doesn't reject the device. What's the longest time frame that a patient has had this device? Yeah, so the first patient that was implanted was in February 2002. So, yeah, more than five years now. So we've had the first Argus 1 series implants. All our patients have had it for more than four and five years or Argus 2 implant, which is the second series implant. And I'll, I'll just, the first Argus 1 has 16 pixels. The Argus 2 has 660. The second Argus 2 implant, which is in the international trials right now, has been implanted anywhere from a few months in some patients up to more than a year in others. And have you noticed an improvement in the Argus 2? Yeah, everybody asks us that question. You know, how much better is Argus 2 than Argus 1? And what we're going to do is actually report on some of the results at the American Society of Retina Specialists meeting in Hawaii later on this year about those results because we're waiting for all the patients to get to a certain limit because since the brain has a lot to add to it, there's a lot of learning, it's unfair to put all the subjects in, you know, even if they've been using it for a month or two. But to answer your question, what we're finding is early on is that, yes, it is better And what we did was in in Argus 1, which is very interesting, we compared if we only turned on four electrodes versus 16 in that first implant and showed that it made a big difference. So it seems and it looks the same way that 60 is better than 16, and then some higher number might even be better than 60. Now, is there any, I guess there's no color perception. It's only black and white. Well, it's interesting you ask about color. Our patients, our subjects do report color, and they see these deep orange blues, these sorts of yellows, and it's very exciting. But we don't know what in the software or the device is eliciting that color. So one day, using the same parameters, we get blue, and other days we get orange. So we do need to develop a further understanding about how to do that. Clearly, it's a big aspect of our vision, something we all enjoy. But on the other hand, you know, black and white is very good and allows you to do most everything we need to. What is the next step? Well, the next step for this particular device, the artificial retina, is to get it to a level where we can get patients and subjects to be able to recognize faces. 
and beyond that, can we actually get them to read large print? And so we, through the Department of Energy program and also the National Science Foundation grants, we're pushing the envelope because it's not easy. It's not easy to go from 60 electrodes to, let's say, 1,000. We have guessed through simulations and sighted volunteers that about 1,000 will get you face recognition and reading vision. And so that's what we're sort of aiming at. I'm going to thank Dr. Mark Humayan for speaking with us about artificial vision. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Levitt, and I'd like to thank you for listening to The Revealing Retina, presented by the American Retina Foundation. For more information, visit us online at AmericanRetina.org. We welcome your questions and comments about this or any other show. Please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at www.reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and new podcast features will allow you access to our entire program library. Again, thanks for listening.